0: Hey there, welcome to A Walking Alongside Perspectives, a combination of short monopods as well as some conversations with cool folks covering various topics based on what is going on in the world, focusing on the broader theme of perspectives. As Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only interpretations. So let's get into it with this episode. Thanks for being here. Even though I went to university to become a dietitian, that path was only made clear when it turned out that I had missed a deadline for getting something or other into the rehabilitation medicine office and so my application to get into physio had been denied. Sometimes things work out the way they were supposed to because I think that this path was the one that I was supposed to be on. Suffice it to say that I have always had a deep love of food. I think that it comes from the fact that my mom, my Oma, most of my aunts, and even a few of my uncles, a revolutionary for the time, are outstanding cooks. Both my parents' families are from Indonesia, back when it was still a Dutch colony. And so the food that I grew up with is actually Indies, not Indonesian, as you would find it in a restaurant now. Unless they too were of that mix of Dutch and Indonesian that gave rise to a whole ethnic culture. When kids that I grew up with would say that they didn't like vegetables and I see these images of sullen children forlornly pushing a pile of cold peas around a plate streaked with residual gravy, it just didn't compute. Vegetables in my house were always prepared in an assortment of sauces or complex blends of spices, herbs and aromatics. So it may have been green beans or zucchini, but it tasted exotic and delicious. I honestly think that for most people that is why they don't like fish for example. If you've only ever tasted fish that was likely past its prime and then overcooked till it was fishy and rubbery then yeah gross but if you taste something that was super fresh prepared with skill cooked to perfection then really it's wonderful and honestly you can probably say that about any food prepare tongue or liver or pancreas and well in each of those cases don't tell me what it is but i'd probably like it anyway food in my house was a big deal Whenever anyone came over for supper, it was an event. And there were always, and still always are, food pictures. It's hilarious, and the memories of those meals caught forever on film helps to transport me back to those family gatherings. But the other thing that has the same power to do that is the food itself. Everyone has likely heard about how powerful an evocateur of memory food is. Many experiments have been done that show how the different areas of the brain light up when subjects are given sense to smell and what they are able to recall from the dark recesses of their mind as relates to those smells and the memories that suddenly come back to the surface. In my case, it isn't necessarily specific memories in terms of dates or places, but more general things. Sotomi, for example, is a thick coconut milk-based soup, heavily spiced with a complex combination of aromatics, which is then poured over an assortment of items ranging from shredded chicken to cubed potatoes to thick noodles to crispy fried onions. And it always brings to mind gatherings at my and Opus house in Voorburg, the Netherlands, it's the house where my mom's family lived when they left indonesia after the end of world war ii when things were getting not so great for anyone who was in any way affiliated with the dutch because my family is mixed dutch indonesian they weren't treated very well there and so it was deemed better and safer to go to the netherlands and start fresh there ironically because they were mixed and not at all like the tall blonde dutch they weren't treated particularly well in the netherlands either anyway that house and that dish brings me back to their giant dining room it had to have been big there was seven kids and then you throw in all the spouses and me and all my cousins and you have the makings of a tremendous hullabaloo of people and food oh and dogs a lot of dogs chaos in the most delicious way possible over the years as we stayed with different aunts and uncles or they came to visit us here in Canada all those foods that we ate became embedded in the memories of their time here The foods that we ate were not only prepared and enjoyed many times, but fortunately for me, written down by my mum so that not only do I now have those recipes, but they're in her handwriting and sometimes even the handwriting of my Oma or my aunt's its memories, and a treasure trove of future wonderful meals all rolled into one little handwritten cookbook. My brother is actually also a terrific cook, and he makes a lot of those dishes more often even than I do, though he needs to tone down the spice factor a bit because his family doesn't handle the heat like my two do. Anyway, when I sit down on Sunday evening with Chris and Daphne if they're around to write down the meal plan for the week, invariably... I think about dishes in that cookbook that my mom made for me and I try to come up with ideas from there that we can integrate. What's funny is that what's happened over the years and maybe it was in part trying to describe or explain to Daphne when they were younger what it was that we were eating is that the names of the dishes have evolved into something associated with the people who made them as opposed to the actual names of the recipe. Lapis Kip, for example, which is basically just salt, pepper, soy sauce on chicken, is now Oma Special Chicken because my mom was Oma to Daphne just as my mom's mom was Oma to me. But it goes beyond just me trying to describe things to Daphne when they were younger because that phenomenon has been going on for a lot longer than the 13 years that Daphne has been on this earth. The very first example that I can think of was this macaroni dish that my brother and I, and frankly, all of our cousins adore. My mum's sister, Tante us, was a good cook, but didn't particularly like spending that time in the kitchen because she preferred doing fun things as a family, or playing softball, or doing amazing sculpting, or sewing, or just going for walks on the beach that was near their house in Hilchum, also in the Netherlands. So she would often just throw together something that ended up amazing, of course, and the one that really became embedded in the repertoire is something that we now all refer to as Tantamek Macaroni. On the recipe that I have in her handwriting, it says something entirely different. But if someone says Tantamek Macaroni, everyone knows immediately what it tastes like and can probably remember the last time they ate it. Another thing that we would invariably do when we were in the Netherlands and everyone had gathered, likely at my Omanopa's house, or someone was visiting us here, is barbecue but not Alberta-style slap a steak on the grill, throw on some seasoning salt and barbecue sauce and call that good. Oh no. This involved the whole family getting involved. First, cutting the meat into small cubes, then making the marinade, then getting all the other stuff ready while the meat marinated, then everyone coming back together again to turn that invariably giant bowl of cubed meat into mountains of skewers of satay. But here too, there are variations depending on who is in charge of making the marinade. So, in that little recipe book that I have that my mum made for me, I have a recipe for Oma satay. But on the flip side to that is a recipe for Om Hans' satay, Om Hans being my uncle, because Om Hans did something a little bit different. I also have two different versions for a dough for the makings of something called bapao, which is basically a ground pork filled steam bun that is to die for, one that my mum used to use and the other, the recipe that my Oma always used. And one day I keep telling myself that I'm going to make both and see if I can tell, or rather taste, the difference. In that recipe book, I also have recipes for Tante Pauline's tomato Soup and Tante Pauline's aardappelsla tomato soup and potato salad. But that potato salad has beets and apples and meat that literally has no comparison to anything I have ever tasted. I have a spice cake for my Tante Sil, and the list goes on. That is all, let's call it historical nomenclature, but the trend is continuing as I add recipes to that book. As I said, my brother is a great cook and he's been gifted many cookbooks over the years, which he experiments with and modifies and you know, plays around with. So whether it's here or in Germany where he now lives that we have something that he makes for us that we all really like, I will usually ask for the recipe. But when I write it into that cookbook, my mom started for me, I call it Terence's Greek Salad or Terence's Smoked Salmon Whiskey Sauce for Pasta. He probably told me out of which cookbooks he got those recipes, but I don't care. And to me, knowing that it is something that he once made for us, which I can now replicate whenever I feel like it, trumps whatever copyright infringement there might be as a result of that. I'm not planning on publishing that cookbook, so it matters little to me that the things are or aren't appropriately credited, because as also invariably happens, even though I go through the process of making the meal plan so that I can make the grocery list, every so often I forget to buy an ingredient or the store didn't happen to have it or whatever, and so I have to improvise, and it ends up different than the original recipe anyway. Call that justification or rationalization, but whatever. It's one of the other great things that I love about cooking that you can do stuff ad-lib or spontaneously, and it still turns out great. Which is the other amazing thing about having this cookbook. Because I get to read their handwriting, make their dish, taste the food, and possibly go back to some long ago time where everyone was having a good time and we were all enjoying being together. I get to reflect on the conversations that my mom and I had while she was cooking, and maybe I was hanging out in the kitchen doing homework when I was younger, or helping when I would visit as an adult. So often while she was cooking and tasting, she would say, I can never get this to taste the same as Oma made it. But then there might be that one time that the stars aligned and she would taste it and say, this is just like Oma's. And that would be a magical moment. I, of course, would generally say that I preferred hers better anyway, because that was what I was used to, whether it was because there was less of something or more of something that I did or didn't prefer, which again speaks to the evolution of recipes too. Making things so your kid or your partner will eat them, like my brother tones down the heat so his clan doesn't need to drink two litres of milk to cool their burning tongues, is how recipes evolve, it's how they change, and it's how our tastes are considered and things get adapted. Food has really become a de rigueur thing now, with everyone carving a niche in an increasingly competitive market it seems, looking for ways to turn family favourites into entrepreneurial ventures, or simply as a way to share tastes and memories that have shaped people's lives. It connects people with their pasts and helps, in some cases, to build their futures. Sitting around the supper table in the evening or at bigger tables for special occasions is how we connect with each other at the end of the day or to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, or graduations, or for no other reason than because gathering to break proverbial bread together is what we have done as part of civilization for time immemorial. It's in the ability to share a meal that was perhaps shared with people who are no longer able to be around the table, whether that's because they are no longer with us or are living somewhere else that reminds us that we belong somewhere, that we are a part of something, family, extended family, in the broadest sense of the word. I will never be able to eat Risolis without thinking of my mum and the piles of those that she made for my brother's polterabend before his wedding. I will never be able to eat Tantamek Macaroni and not remember my amazing aunt and her zest for life. I will never be able to eat Olibolen and not think fondly of all the New Year's Eve celebrations that we had, just the four of us growing up in some random small town in Alberta, or the one time we were all together at my Oma and Opa's house. Food provides not only sustenance so that we can live, but adds all the special elements, that make life special and memorable. And if you're lucky enough to come from a family of great cooks, that helps to make life delicious. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a topic or even better, a perspective to share, I would love to hear them and share them, ideally in a conversation with you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and throw a comment my way or share with friends. For better or for worse, we're all in this together. We have exactly one world to share, so let's make it the best one it can be. Until next time, take good care. Ciao for now.